everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of, well, actually, the Athletic MMA's podcast about MMA and other stuff. This is your host, Fernanda Prates, just in case you have forgotten all about me after I totally ditched you last week. In my defense, there were holidays, and even though I am a bitter and lonely heathen, I do partake in such festivities. I even wore a Christmas sweater. Granted, it was a diehard sweater and it had a bad word in it, but still, festive. The cop cars even lit up. Anyway, what matters is that like that persistent single hair on my chin, I always come back. Here I am for our very first episode of 220. And because this is such a special occasion, I made sure to prepare something special too. And by special, I mean I am totally using leftovers for my New Year's piece for The Athletic. I know, I suck. Not once have I lied to you about it. But yes, my editor at The Athletic was kind enough to indulge my insanity and allowed me to write a piece that I called The World Hasn't Ended Yet. So here's my MMA wishlist for 2020. And then I listed a few things, which you may have guessed, being that's kind of how lists work. So yeah, you can check that out there. But I got a little carried away and ended up writing a few too many words like twice as many as I was supposed to maybe, and my editor understandably had to cut some of them. After crying myself to sleep for two straight days, I decided, hey, why not just repurpose them? So I did. In this episode that I am calling cool stuff that we probably won't do in 2020, but hey, a girl can dream. I did add a few fresh items, by the way, and you get the bonus of getting this unique, insightful, brilliant content in my lovely voice nervous accent and all. And you also get to have the most social justice warrior content because that's how much I love you. So Gary J, my favorite hater, if you're listening, stick around. This ought to give you enough fuel to call me names in the comment section for weeks. And as for the rest of you, thank you for following me into the new year. Hopefully you still like the podcast. Hopefully you still like me. But if you don't, here's a suggestion. You know, Gary J, don't be like Gary J. Nobody likes Gary J. Just keep it to yourself. Let's begin with a softball. Something I really wish happens in 2020 is that people learn what clickbait is before calling shit that isn't clickbait, clickbait. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and read Wikipedia's definition of the term. Quote, Clickbait is a form of false advertisement which uses hyperlink text or a thumbnail link that is designed to attract attention and entice users to follow that link and read, view, or listen to the link piece of online content with a defining characteristic of being deceptive, typically sensationalized, or misleading. Just to be thorough, I will add another definition of the term clickbait, this time by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Something such as a headline designed to make readers want to click on a hyperlink, especially when the link leads to content of dubious value or interest. Okay, you can do your own Googling there, but I think what you'll find is that all definitions of the term will have this one thing in common. None of them will define clickbait as simply stuff that McGregor fan 244 didn't enjoy reading, or maybe article that didn't fit exactly within the very narrow worldview of at JoeBoy255. Funny, it's almost like clickbait is an actual concept designed to address a specific thing and not just an umbrella term that you can throw out there to dismiss the quality of something that you just personally didn't enjoy reading. Crazy, right? Well, now you know. And with that established, here's what I'd suggest. 
Before attacking an outlet or a specific writer online, ask yourself, why don't I like this content? Is it actual bad content? As in, is it harmful or problematic or dishonest or misleading? If the answer is no to all of those, here's a possible follow-up question. Do I dislike this simply because it doesn't cater to my specific needs and or ones? And then, if you want to get really wild with it, you might ask yourself, is it possible that other people inhabit this earth and therefore not everything has to be about me? In any case, here's a New Year's tip. Try reducing your clickbait accusations by 40% in 2020. If anything, it will help you expand your vocabulary. Now for the next one. In case you are a new listener and I haven't lost you already, I should warn you. I'm about to go deep into millennial snowflake territory. So you might want to skip this if you're one of those people who think the world is just too damn sensitive these days and that political correctness is ruining everything. So here's the thing that I would love to see in 2020. I would like to see people stop using women as props in media settings and call-out videos. So here's a little known fact about women. We're fully formed human beings, like with complex emotions and feelings and thoughts and the whole deal. Just like everyone else, we laugh. Just like everyone else, we cry. Just like everyone else, we scroll mindlessly through the Netflix catalog for hours, only to end up numbly watching people's Instagram stories in the vain hope of briefly distracting ourselves from our existential pain. We sometimes run our own offices, businesses, or get this, even entire countries. I know, insane. Long story short, we are not props, luxury items, or decoration pieces. I know. It's 2020, this is kind of obvious, but I guess we can just add this one to the ever-growing list of things I shouldn't have to be saying, and yet, here we are. See, I know a lot of people don't really see problems in Kobe Covington showing up to media obligations with two women under his arms, serving no purpose other than making it look like he... I don't even know what the point is there, I just... I don't know that he has a lot of sex, I guess... And I know that some people might see that video of Henry Cejudo calling out Jose Aldo and think that the women being used as nothing but belt holders should be the least of our concerns considering such unholy levels of just the purest cringe. And granted, there is a lot of cringe. Look, I know that some people will look at a picture of a man surrounded by half-naked women, looking all powerful and commanding, and not think much of it because, well, we see it all the time. I know that for a lot of the people who look at these things, the whole thing seems funny at best and inconsequential at worst. Harmless. I mean, it's not like these women are being actively demeaned or mistreated on camera, right? No one is saying bad things about them. If anything, one would assume that they're getting paid, and being paid money just to stand there doesn't seem like such a bad deal, does it? Okay, I, I hear what you're saying, but allow me to propose an exercise. Imagine if, instead of the women, there were scantily clad men standing there. You would probably notice, right? You'd notice mostly because half-naked men is not something that you see every day in MMA. Well, 
let me rephrase that. Half-naked men is not something you see as eye candy every day in MMA. And though you could make the argument that in the case of those specific videos, or in the sports culture in general, that has to do with those fighters' sexual orientation, note that you don't really see straight female fighters parading ornamental men in their own promos. Trust me, I've heard every argument under the sun regarding this topic. But men are objectified too. Good-looking men also get more opportunities because of their looks, okay? The world is just shallow. That is not restricted to gender. Sex sells. That is a factor. Yeah, but Stacy totally friendzoned me and I'm totally a nice guy and she only dates assholes while I'm here, being a total nice guy who doesn't take no for an answer and treats sex like a business transaction. Okay, maybe that last one doesn't entirely relate to the topic, but I just wanted to get that in there. The previous ones, though, yes, they're pretty much all true. But, and again, we've talked about this here. If you don't see how disproportionately objectification still affects women compared to men, I do not know what to tell you. I suggest turning on the TV, flipping through those ancient physical artifacts that we used to call magazines, or really just walking down the streets without headphones on. Or, who knows, maybe just watching any event in mainstream MMA and counting the number of ring girls versus ring boys. But (sighs) this particular tradition is something that I will address more carefully and at length in a separate episode. You know, when we're done with all the holiday glee and I'm prepared to make everyone hate me again. But yes, (laughs) the reason why this might look and feel inconsequential is because it doesn't stand out. We've seen it so many times, right? In MMA and in the world. Men flexing their power by being surrounded by women. But here's the thing. Do you remember when women still weren't allowed to fight in the UFC? Remember when the only way that we saw them there in the octagon was walking around it with a little plaque on their hands? Or up there as wives or moms or rarely as corners, but generally as supporting characters in the narratives of men. Despite my horrible memory, I do remember, because it wasn't that long ago. As recently as 2012, we were being told by UFC President Dana White that the world's leading MMA promotion was no place for women as protagonists. We accepted it, because what else could we do? We knew damn well who that product was being made by and for. We were allowed some windows into that universe. But phrases like White's worked as reminders that that's all they were. Windows. They were reminders of our place. Thankfully, a lot has changed, not just in MMA, but in the world. But every now and then, we get that. We get what, at least to me, feel a lot like reminders that we're just orbiting a space that isn't made for or by us, that we mostly make for good decoration. If you want to hear more about how reducing women to their looks is harmful to us, no matter how you spin it, you might want to go back two episodes because I did a full show on it. For now, though, here is a suggestion. If we're thinking of using actual human women for decorative roles that inanimate objects could easily fulfill, we could just try going with the actual objects instead. Maybe try a jaguar or a marble countertop or whatever it is that dudes spend too much money on to try to get over the fact that Jen turned them down for prom and went with Steve instead. It's much more convenient, really. And while we're on the topic of retiring certain habits... Here's a bunch of shit we should just leave in 2019. I'm not too proud to admit that I got low-key called out in my written piece for The Athletic. 
In the same article that I complained about how we ruined shoeies for putting them on every single broadcast, I used the hashtag super necessary to talk about Jorge Masvidal. A reader, very nicely, mentioned that the super necessary thing should die. And while I am tempted to be upset by the shade of it all, as accidental as it was, I can be very, very petty. I won't, because I have to agree with him. I honestly felt bad just writing it. I should have just followed my instincts and let Super Necessary die. But it's not too late. Fact is, we beat Super Necessary so much that we killed it. It's over. We must now cover the corpse and take it to the mass grave, where hopefully it will meet the following things. Who the fuck is that guy? I'm not surprised, motherfucker. It's normal. Don't be scared, homie. My balls was hot. That Black Hole Sun remix that the USC plays at every single event. Three piece and a soda references. The gif of the woman spitting out her coffee or drink or whatever. The gif of Mike Tyson clapping as he laughs. The gif of Leonardo DiCaprio as Jay Gatsby raising his martini glass. Uh, the patriarchy. Uh, calling close fights robberies. Tattoos with one's own name or nickname and stylized lettering on their upper backs or bellies. Walking out to the Rocky theme. Walking out to any songs featured in any of the Rocky movies, actually. Walking out to Leonard Skinner's Simple Man or AWOL Nation's Sale or Katy Perry's Roar. And last but not least, you know this is the hill I chose to die on and I refuse to let it go. Tagging fighters in conversations about them on Twitter. Seriously, I expect better from all of us. Let's just stop this once and for all. I would say cue that Michael Jordan stop get some help gift, but let's face it, that one should be dead and buried too. And lastly, one thing that I think we can all benefit from in 2020. More care and thoughtfulness, less hastily assembled takes. Look, I'll be the first to say social media can be awesome. For starters, there are a lot of cool people in it, and these cool people create all types of cool content, from videos of reggaeton dancing dogs to gifts that allow us to convey complex emotions without the hassle of actually writing words. Social media helps families stay in touch, it allows us to express ourselves artistically, and it can be super effective when it comes to networking. It also has naughty emojis and memes that aren't supposed to be funny but somehow are and Twitter accounts dedicated to curating pictures of random raccoons or issuing offensive reminders for people to drink water. Seriously, at drink water slut is a thing and it's glorious. Clearly, I'm a fan of the entire internet. Sign me up. Sign me up for all of it. But like everything in life that isn't peanut butter ice cream, social media has its drawbacks. And I don't just mean how it's helped reignite dangerous nationalistic rhetoric or how it's made our personal data very much available to all sorts of evil corporations, which is kind of a bummer too. It's also just added this quickness to everything. At the same time that information spreads faster, we're also expected to react to it faster. Stories have to be written right away and opinions need to be voiced right away. And even if it's not our intention to join the chorus of screams into the void, working in media in 2020 makes it damn near impossible to avoid letting yourself get dragged into it. 
Not only are you constantly worried professionally that things will get old and irrelevant by the time you actually get to them, which has to do with the fact that 12 hours might as well be 12 years in internet time, but there's this outside pressure too for you to take stances on things. Especially on Twitter, where things circulate incredibly fast, there's this expectation that you have a take packaged and ready to go whenever anyone says something wrong or steps out of line. And if you don't make a concerned effort to just step away from the apps for a few hours, it's very easy to just be engulfed by this frantic, insane pace. Just yesterday, I saw this video of Joe Biden that had been edited out of context, and a lot of progressive, well-meaning people shared it without giving it a, a second thought. And granted, fuck Joe Biden, but that's sort of a symptom of a bigger issue. We often share before we think, and I am adding myself to this group because you don't have to be a shitty person or someone who acts in bad faith to do that. Sometimes it's quite the opposite. You see something terrible and you just want to get mad at it and you want to speak about it. And sometimes you're perfectly fine to do that. Sometimes, though, it's just not helpful or worse, it is entirely counterproductive. I'm going to use a recent example in the MMA world, the Conor McGregor debacle, and more specifically, this great piece that my colleague Chad Dundas wrote about it. It is called, How Will Sexual Assault Accusations Against Conor McGregor Be Addressed Before UFC 246? Which is uh, when Conor McGregor will fight Donald Cerrone. And the article is available at The Athletic. By now, you probably don't need me to walk you through McGregor's legal woes, but basically, he's facing sexual assault accusations in his native Ireland. Laws in the country prevent the outlets from naming McGregor as the person being accused, but the New York Times eventually linked his name to the accusations, making it easier for outlets abroad to report on them. It's important to note that McGregor hasn't been charged with a crime. These are ongoing investigations. So when the news broke of the second accusation, reaction was very swift. I saw a lot of those demands online by people who wanted the cucumber music, the media, to address it. I saw a bunch of tweets sort of shaming everyone for not being quick to report and just a whole lot of people daring the media to speak up. And while I know that some of these people had the somewhat admirable intention of demanding accountability in a sport that often fails to provide it, they might not realize that the quickest reaction isn't necessarily the most effective one. In fact, it can be a full-on disservice, especially when dealing with a theme like sexual assault, which is already so riddled with misconceptions, misogynistic myths, and victim-blaming discourse. And that's because I'm not even going into all the other aspects, like the legal ramifications or just the logistics of reporting on police matters when you're based in a different country, without the proper resources to conduct a careful and fair process. I'm just saying that we know how the world works. Whenever a powerful man is accused of something like this, most people are very quick to jump to their defense and doubt the accuser. Witch hunt is a term that a lot of them like to use. And if you just yell about things, and trust me, I get it, because sometimes I really just want to yell about things, you might not be helping change any of the culture. You might actually be hurting it. I highly recommend you to read Chad's piece, but basically what he said there was, okay, these are the facts of the situation. There are these accusations. This is where we stand legally. How should we proceed to address this in a way that is responsible and ethical? And also, how should we ask the UFC to do the same? And he listened to journalism experts on the matter. 
The result was just a thorough, cool-headed piece. He's not issuing verdicts or making assumptions. The focus isn't even on whether McGregor did this or not, but rather on how we can collectively go from here. I will just read you this one uh, little bit. Uh, he talked to a journalism professor and a former reporter called Tracy Everbach. Everbach? I do not. I'm, I'm, I'm butchering it again. But yes, um, this little piece of Chad's interview with her, which I thought was extremely interesting. Quote, as the MMA subculture begins to grapple with the accusations against McGregor, Averbach says it's important to understand the mistakes that media and the public have made in the past. She said fans and journalists should avoid propagating rape myths, like the erroneous belief that alleged victims frequently make up allegations in an effort to extort money from celebrities, or the idea that sexual assaults themselves are unusual, insulated incidents. In fact, Everbach said, false accusations are extremely rare and currently estimates that only 2 to 7% of all sexual assault allegations turn out to be untrue. Overall, sexual assault remains one of the most underreported crimes worldwide, so reporters should be careful about putting too much emphasis on the notion of false allegations. I think there's a lot that we still have to sort out about sports and sexual assault and violence, Everbach said. I still think that this is a conversation that's ongoing that really has not been resolved because the professional organizations still don't really know how to handle it and haven't decided how to handle it. Uh, end quote. And she's right. <laughs> There's a lot to be sorted out. I, for one, have such a hard time talking about the subject. Even here in this podcast, I struggle with the terms that I can and should use and the way that I can and should put in certain aspects of these cases. It's hard because you want to be fair and you want to be responsible, but you want to be brave and you want to be sensitive and you want to hold people accountable, but also you can't just play judge, jury, and executioner. It's tough. That's why I was so impressed by what Chad chose to do there. It wasn't about a specific case, or really about a matter of guilt. It wasn't about this one thing. It was about something bigger. And that, to me, is good journalism. That is the type of journalism that might actually make people think instead of just say stuff for the sake of saying stuff. And if that's not something we can all afford to do more of in 2020 and beyond, I don't know what is. Well, that was it for this week's episode. As I said earlier, this is actually the continuation of an article of mine. So if you want to check it out, that'd be awesome. If you want to leave a nice comment, that'd be even more awesome. And if you want to argue with the people leaving bad comments, that's just a bonus. If you don't want to do any of that, it's okay. I forgive you. And I appreciate the fact that you're here listening. I hope you keep doing that next week when I return with more MMA and other stuff. 